Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller, and alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we've got old hand Coops. Hiya, Coops. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yes, I'm very good. Thank you very much. It's our 100th episode today, so I'm excited about this. We made it to 100. That's great. I know. I remember the first one when they were two and a half hours long. <laughs> that was when we were still honing our craft. We just yes. kept on talking and talking and talking. Gladly now we kind of keep it to around about an hour and an hour and 15 minutes, maybe. Uh, yeah, so. but that, that's because you don't have me on every week. <laughs> <laughs> Chatterbox, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Amy alongside us today. Hi, Amy, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you? Now, you've got some great news to share with the world. You are a new driver. So <laughs> Yeah, new to the roads. <laughs> congratulations. Thank wow. you. And how, how did the test go? Were you really nervous for the test or was it, was it, was... were you quietly confident? More nervous than I expected to be, but I passed with no minors either. So wow, no minors. I won't yeah. tell you. I won't tell you why. How many times it took me, <laughs> but it was a few. But I have been, and I've been driving for nineteen years now. So because uh, I'm an old person. <laughs> We've also got a very special guest who joins us today on the one hundredth episode of the podcast, and that is Diana Binks. Hi, Diana. How are you? I'm very well, James. How are you? Yes, brilliant. Thank you very much. For any of our listeners, watchers who are watching it on the live stream on Facebook, could you kind of give us a brief outline of who you are, what you do, for, for anyone that doesn't obviously know your name? Sure. Yep. My name is Diana Binks. I've been involved in motorsport for around 20 years now. Covered lots of championships as a broadcaster. My background actually was in television. Um, so I worked in television production before I started broadcasting myself. So that was a great grounding for me to sort of learn about the the television industry and how it all works. Um, mm. Covered lots of motor racing championships, which was what my goal was. I always wanted to, to work in motorsport. And I've covered F3, GTs, ATCC, Formula Renault, been all over the world, been to Daytona, Sebring, most of the European tracks, covering different championships over the years in the pit lane. And now I'm still in the pit lane sometimes, but now I'm also producing. So I'm working with Formula One TV on the on the producing side and just really using all the skills that I've you know learned over the years and, and bringing it all together and still enjoying it, still loving it, still loving the industry. And uh, it's just it's just an exciting environment to be in. Absolutely, it is. It's 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 brilliant. You know, we we fairly new to the world and we're we're still very excited at all the things that kind of drop our way or the people we get to interview. 
and we're always very excited to hear stories from around the world. So I'm, I'm going to be really interested in hearing what you've got to say. But first, we are Everything F1. You can find us on all of our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. We are also on our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, you're listening to us or watching us on our podcast itself. We would love you to hit the subscribe button to get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Okay, so we'll talk about the news. Now, it is off-season, so there's not loads to talk about, but we have a quick rundown of the news. Coops, is there a, a particular story that you would like to talk about today? Well, one that caught my eye earlier on was Roman Grosjean is signed by Lamborghini. Yes. Uh, for, for, for next year. So he's going to be doing the LMDH2, I want to say, project. Uh, was, that two, was that 2024 that he'd signed up for, not, not 2023? Mm. I, I can't remember whether I saw it. Well... His Andretti contract is only two years, so he's coming up to his second year with Andretti. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is to cover the bases he's working as a he's working he's signed with them now, whether mm. that's just to develop it for what for the future. Mm. Maybe he's not going to extend with Andretti. Uh, he certainly needs to do a bit better than he did last year, but then all the Andretti cars need to do a bit better, to be honest. They did they just didn't quite work for them last year. But yeah, I'll be interested. I don't know if Grosjean and Diana may be able to confirm or not uh, whether Grosjean's actually done any GT drives before. I've not picked up that before. I have a feeling he did Daytona. I could be wrong. Can't, I, I, I'm not sure. Because he, I'm guessing then, he's not going to do IndyCar anymore. Well, that's the weird thing. He is signed up for next year. So yeah. I'm not sure. I'll need to have a look and double-check the story it's Lamborghini really, but... 2024 LMDH drive, so I'm guessing it will yeah, be... He, he must, he, yeah, yeah. he's he signed it up for a development then, so he's developing it now then to then drive it 2024, right? That that will be what I'm So we'll yes. see out his contract with IndyCar next year uh, with Andretti. In fact, he did his race at Le Mans in 2010 in a Ford GT1. So wow. there you go. You know, some sports car racing. And I guess it was probably inevitable that he'd come back to do that because he's certainly not ready to, to finish racing, is he? He's still clearly got the passion and the, and the, and the desire to do it, which is, which is great. It's great to see that, you know, everyone's carrying on outside of Formula One and IndyCar. Yeah, and he's yeah. cer- certainly taking that role of the Phoenix quite quite well. He's, he's still obviously quite passionate about sport, as you as you say, motorsport, and wants to be there. So, yeah, f- good luck to him, really, in, in that. And obviously, good luck to him next year in, in IndyCar too. According to what I've read here, he's going to be doing the lower-class GT3 Lamborghini in 2023, starting with the 24 hours of Daytona in January, while developing the new Le Mans Daytona hypercar which will compete in the endurance championship in 2024 yeah so he's got development still to do on that haven't they so that's yeah. a perfect way to to do it yeah. so he's, he's a busy man <laughs> he is a busy man he is a busy man indeed amy have you got any news articles that you wish to talk about from over the, the past week I wouldn't say sort of like big news articles like that, but we did just have the Autosport Awards, did we not? Yeah. Which I thought was Sebastian Vettel, obviously George Russell, a lot of the F1 stars were there. And yeah, it was a really great night by the looks of all the pictures and that. And Sebastian Vettel, did he auction on his own piece of his F1 car or something? 
I did see him about that, and he auctioned on it to get it because he didn't know his team was selling it in oh, the auction. Okay. <laughs> so he tried to get it back. I thought that was quite funny, to be fair. So. Well, he is just a massive motorsport and Formula One geek, isn't he? So any memorabilia that he could keep himself, he would absolutely do that. So I can I can believe that. I haven't heard that, but I certainly can believe it. He did win the Lifetime Achievements Award while he was there. Yeah. Yes. And apparently with that, he actually asked if he's going to win that award. They wanted the longest serving employee of Autosport to give him the award, yeah. which is just like, I mean, it's like, it's like, come on, stop it. You're, you're making us all look bad now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you met Sebastian Vettel, I, I guess, over the years, Diana, and had some good conversations with him? Yes, I have. Yeah, he he he's always been a driver that's been really courteous. Had a, a you know could be quite cheeky. Likes a bit of fun. I remember once trying to interview him at Silverstone when I did Silverstone. I just did the pit lane for the Silverstone TV around the circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was standing next to Ted Kravitz, who was there with Sky, I think at the time, waiting. Ted was waiting, sat and chatting to me, and uh, Sebastian came along and he said, "Well, to be honest, Ted, it's ladies first. So Ted." <laughs> Hey, on you go. <laughs> what a gent. What a gentleman. But no, always good. And, you know, he'd always answer your questions. Very analytical, very thoughtful driver. And he was always really, you know, he was always honest. You know, he'd wear his, he'd tell it how it was and give you really factual, nice sort of answers to the questions. You know, a lot mm. of, you know, the, you ask a question, you may get a yes, no answer. So you've got to dig a bit deeper to get something else. And um, he always, he always delivered in that sense. Yeah, well, again, and who else would have won the Lifetime Achievements Award this year in motorsport? I was giving up uh, Formula One after however many years it was now, before championships and all the other things that he's, that he's done within the sport and, and socially as well. So he's the perfect candidate for that award. Uh, one thing I did find funny from the awards that night was uh, Christian Horner was sat, was sat at table number 44. Now, I think that was probably the autosport <laughs> team having a little bit of a joke with him. I thought that was quite amusing. I'm sure he probably didn't feel the same way. <laughs> well, the, then when he was announcing the Rookie of the Year award, they said Toto first. Then he said uh, Joe, which was quite funny. Mm. Uh, I think, well, I think the only person that found it funny was, was Christian, to be honest. <laughs> but he has a very particular sense of humour. Because I've seen a few video clips where he says things and laughs to himself and everyone else is just like, all right, okay, Christian. <laughs> and then, you know... Uh, yeah, like you say, I think it's just his humour. Uh, how about Diana? I'm guessing you've spoke to Christian Horner uh, several times as well because he does like the sound of his own voice <laughs> in a in a nice way. I'm not, I'm not. That's not me being critical of him. I quite like him. I've always found him. You'll ask a question and you'll get the answer he wants to give you. Yeah. Like, answer questions he's always like even under pressure he will he will still answer but I, I did suggest to him once that he was like a politician you know you answer a question and then you get a question with the answer you don't actually get the answer so yeah there's a there's a definite knack there to to dealing with what you want to say and what you don't want to say let's face it, it regardless of whether you're a fan or you're not you know it's not an easy job being the principal of any of these formula one teams they're under a massive pressure to deliver and you you never want to wash your laundry in public, particularly, do you? Or you'll mm. motivate the team, keep everyone going. So I can't imagine anything's easy. And we've all seen interviews where you ask a question and you know you're not going to get the answer and you get some long-winded answer and you just know there's something else going on. And then a couple of days later, it all comes out. But, you know, that's just the, the nature of the, of the game. And, and from a journalist's perspective and an interviewer's perspective, you're trying all the time to find the story. You're trying to chase the story in a way. Mm. 
and sometimes you get there first and sometimes you don't but that's really the nature of the beast you know we're all chasing stories yeah just just the king of dodging the, i mean they all are toto is very similar as well i think about they they probably if they weren't like in opposing teams and, and kind of at each other for these championships all the time they'd probably be quite good friends because i think they'd quite, they'd bounce off each other quite a bit I was liking it to sort of chess, you know, I think it's like chess with words because you can just see it's that ping pong, isn't it? One will say one thing, the next one will say another and it's like ping pong, ping pong, which is quite amusing sometimes for us watching. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're very amusing. Very amusing. How about any stories? What are, what are the stories? So that's the Autosport Awards. Obviously, congratulations to all the winners. I think obviously Vettel had the Lifetime Achievements Award. What was George Russell's award that he got? He got one from... Yeah, it... I'm, I'm not sure. The moment of the season, something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. There were there were a few F one F one winners anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it was represented well at the awards, and as it should be as well, because it was a great season. What other news, uh, Diana? Have you got any news articles that you want to chat about from maybe from a sport that you're covering at all? No, I just uh, came back from Abu Dhabi, where I was with F one TV. I did Brazil and Abu Dhabi for them. It was it was it's hard it was hard going in Brazil you know it was quite difficult because everything's so far away from where you need to be so just rushing to get where you needed to but the atmosphere was incredible the fan base is it blows your mind there were so many people there so that makes it really good until you're trying to get in and out of the track obviously because you just but you know great racing great circuits a lot going on I think you know end of a season. The championship had already been sewn up in Abu Dhabi, so there was, I wouldn't say everyone was more relaxed, but they were still, as soon as the light goes out, you know, they're racing. But there were still a few things to play for at the end, still a few stories developing. But fundamentally, you know, it was it was a great event. I think everyone was tired, you know, at the end of the year, everyone's, everyone's pretty tired. So there wasn't any real stories coming out of Abu Dhabi, I think probably because the championship had been sewn up and mm. you were at that point where I think people were keen to, to get away and have a bit of a break. Yeah, yeah, too right. Yeah, I, I, we've had our season review, but what was your take on the whole season? The season as a whole was it a, an enjoyable season for you to watch as a fan and obviously on the inside as a as a worker? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't at all of the events, but obviously I keep, keep a keen interest on on Formula One. But I think it was. I think there was a lot of different things throughout the year going on. It was good to see different drivers battling. I mean, that's what you want to see. I think most of the complaints you hear. Over the years, you know, if someone's running away with it all, everyone goes, oh, well, it, you know, it's another Red Bull or a, or a Mercedes. or. But it was nice to see different drivers battling and just see the talent on track when they really got down to it. You know, there was some great overtaking moves that went on through the year. And it, no, I thought it was a really, really good year, really positive year. Yeah, the, the new rules seem to have worked, obviously, in Red Bull's favour, probably more than everyone else's. But it, the potential there, once, you know, Mercedes get up to speed and once Ferrari don't make as many, you know, poor choices strategically, we've got, we've got a potential for a really close racing, hopefully, in next year. Obviously, it, it, some, there were some fantastic races and some fantastic overtakes and whatnot. And thanks to, you know, Ross Braun and, uh, and the team for putting these rules together. It was it was a good year, but I think they can go one step better. And hopefully that comes next year. I think the big surprise, I think, was Ferrari, wasn't it? You just touched on it there just briefly. But strategy calls that, you know, you even in Spa, you were going, why did you do that? And so many things that you've got so many really highly intelligent strategists there all working incredibly hard and yet 
you know, it just ran away with them. And, and on two or three occasions, you know, that that definitely cost them cost them points for sure. Absolutely. You are 100% right. You were going to say something, Coop, sorry. Yeah, well, I was just talking about the rules. Next year will be interesting because generally speaking, the second year of a new rule cycle consolidates the, the whole grid. But also, this is the first year of the new CFD rules where... Mm first place gets less than last place and it's even doubly worse for Red Bull because they got their penalty. So that's, I think they're getting 63% or something. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a chunk, isn't it? So you think, well, they're not going to be able to use their wind tunnel as much to do their development. So yeah. it's going to be, as you say, going to be really interesting to see how the start of the season plays out with all that in mind because they'll all be still working away, I'm sure, now you know, and have been for some time developing, obviously, for next year and getting on top of it, knowing exactly what the rules are and what they need to do. But that's a big thing, isn't it? You know, to have that lack of development and on that side of things, it's as we see as the, as the year progresses, how important it really is. Yeah, and only time will tell about that, won't it? Yeah, the interesting thing as well is the, 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 the penalty is 10% over 12 calendar months. And from what I understood of it, it was from the minute that they announced the penalty. So so there's no there was no right to appeal. It was literally you could take it to a tribunal, but it could be worse, but we'll give you a slightly less one. So from that day until the anniversary next year. So it's it started from then. They've already got a development plan, which they're gonna to have to change or had to change because wait a minute, we've got a lot less than we thought now. And then, you know, if you look down the grid, I think Williams are at 110. Maybe a hundred and well over a hundred percent. You've got Haas as well in amongst there. They've got themselves a good driver who's technically very technically minded. I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't think the cars are going to be quite as diverse. I think a lot of people have looked at and they're all going to be very similar on the outside because you know Williams got it wrong because they're the slowest car. Alpha Tauri's didn't work. Mm. The Aston Martin at the start of the year was very different from the end of the year. McLaren made some fundamental mistakes. So, and then but cars got it right. So you might, I would, I think you're going to see a lot that will look similar. But then as Diana says, over the course of the development cycle over the year, yeah. it's going to be really interesting. That's what they've sort of started to focus on first, doesn't it, Coops? You sort of think, well, you know, they may have a, a plan of what they're going to run. Now, knowing that their time's going to be reduced or or however any of the F1 teams are going to run it, they, they've obviously thought about what they're going to do first and then they're going to work, you know, yeah. schedule of, of what they need. So, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to adjust that quite significantly to, to, to look for the areas that they might find a weakness in and how what's going to be developed first. So I think it will be really interesting. I think the two things that will go in Red Bull's favour, though, is one, they've got a very good foundation. I mean, that car's a rocket ship. And it's the Adrian Newey factor. You just can't take, you can't forget about Adrian. Even now, even though the man is the age he is and still uses a pen and a bit of paper and doesn't use the computers, I mean that man's a genius. So you know, I don't think he's they're going to drop to mid table or mid the mid of the grid. You know, I think it's just going to bring everybody closer together, and there's not going to be there's going to be a longer fight. I would like to think. I think also with Mercedes, you know, you can't underestimate them. They've got a taster of what they think they they know what they need to do. I mean, they've got some real geniuses within that team, mm -hmm. and working very hard to look at all the areas. They'll have analysed everything to within an inch of its life to, to find out what they need to do. They are so motivated. So I would expect there'll be a big, you know, fight on again, definitely. 
I think yeah. with Mercedes as well, with the, like Toto Wolf leading them and the fact that not just him, but obviously all the team principals want to do well. That's the aim of the sport. But I think he wants the motivation more because of the Abu Dhabi controversy last season. And obviously the season just gone now didn't necessarily fall into their hands. And I think that is not just from him, but from the drivers. We've seen it from George this year, I think. He's fighting for it. He wants it. And I think Lewis Hamilton have always had that fight in him. And I think they might be ones to watch next season, to be fair. Oh, absolutely. You can never rule out ladies, not at all. Um, a new story that I wanted to talk about, and, and it does obviously look, kind of lend itself to what we're talking about, obviously the year gone by, but it's, it's from another team, Alpine. I'm, I've got, I'm looking at my phone, so sorry I'm not looking at the screen here, just because I'm trying to read what the quote was. But Esteban Ocon came out and uh, said something about Alonso. It's good that he's going to Aston Martin and that we're going our own way. Honestly, the work was 98% on my back and 2% on his. I was overworked. I did all the development on the simulator and the marketing trips. Ooh. They certainly aren't best friends anymore. I think Alex is the word to use there. <laughs> Fernando Alonso, again, you know, he's he's been around for a long time. He's done a lot of stuff. He's a very, very articulate, intelligent driver. He knows how to play the game to his advantage. And he can't fail to acknowledge his competition level. It's massively high. So he will do what he needs to do mentally and physically to, to be ahead of the game. And let's face it, we saw some amazing drives from him this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's He, he certainly hasn't lost it. And he, if there's anyone that could have won a race in an Alpine, it, it would have been Alonso over Ocon. I, I mean, Ocon had a good, good performance and was good this year. And actually, obviously, over the course of the year, outscored his, his teammate. But Alonso, some of the overtakes, some of the racing, he just, just has not lost any of that skill and determination. Not at all, not at all. And it's great. I don't know about you, but I sort of, there's so many new faces coming in, which is fantastic. You know, it keeps evolving. The landscape keeps changing. But I also like to still see, I'm sad that Sebastian has has gone, to be honest. I, I just like to still see them mixing with the new guys coming in. And then you get to see who the talent is coming through against the guys that we know are, you know, superb. So I, I still like to see that real mix of drivers that we know. I think they almost act in like a mental way for them as well, especially coming through. You get to see like the rookies work with the older ones and the ones that are more experienced to then learn off that. And I think that's what really creates a great driver. And I think we've seen that from previous rookies to going into the drivers they are now, like Lewis Hamilton, learning off his PPS when he was growing through the ranks. I think it just shows how much ben how more beneficial it can be to have a more experienced driver giving you more knowledge about the sport especially when you're going into your first f1 season it's scary for everyone and it's just we've got to wait to see what happens and how they all react to being in f1 yeah you're absolutely right Amy. and i think the other thing is as well is that when you're a new driver coming into formula one or any championship you know the experienced driver is not just going to open his arms and tell you everything he knows because it's mm. not you're going to have to wait and sort of work it out yourself. It's a bit like working in the industry I'm in, you know, you, you go in and start working. No one actually tells you what to do. You have to sort of prepare yourself for the unexpected in many ways. You have to know the subject and you have to look at what's around you and, 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 and research and do the stuff that you need to do. But there's no one there holding your hand saying, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. You have to sort of work it out yourself. And that can be quite scary. I remember the first time I did something a few years ago after a couple of years away, and I was a bit like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'd forgotten. <laughs> but I'd just forgotten the nature of the beast, and I suddenly found myself hesitating. 
going to grab a couple of interviews and then I realized no you can't do that you have to be straight in there otherwise you've lost the opportunity and everyone's looking at you going what did you do what did you not do that for so <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard you know there's no there's no two ways about it you, you you have to have broad shoulders at times but you also just have to be focused on on what you're doing to get the best out of what you need to you know mm. often I've been asked to you do know, what what happens when you've got a driver that's had a bad race or a bad event and you're trying to talk to them but you know you've got to gauge and accept that your emotions are going to run high. You've got to choose your moment and choose your questions. You know, if you ask something that's really insignificant, they're just not going to have time to talk to you. So you've just got to gauge what you see in front of you and 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 react to it to get what you need to get in the best way possible. Yeah, and, and for the first time, we're going back to obviously the Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, you know, champions. It, we're going down to only three champions on the grid next year, which is a first for a, a quite a while because we've had obviously Kimi Räikkönen was here the previous year. We had we had four this year with Sebastian Vettel, so we go down, we go down to to three champions on the grid. That's that's probably quite yeah. a sad thing. Three F1 champions. Three F1 champions. Sorry, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that, that, that's what I meant. Sorry, I, I should have been a bit more specific. <laughs> you guys think, but you know, we've there's been talk about you know helping coming back to to race with Haas, and there's been a, a I've seen a few sort of stories, and people have like, well, you know, why have they why have they got Nico Hulkenberg? But you know, Nico Hulkenberg was the A1 GP champion. So he's 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 made of you know winning he's won in other formulas that he's been in he just didn't win in Formula One so I'm really interested to see what he can do once he's back in it. He's a safe pair of hands, isn't he, for for the Haas team who who have had obviously a rookie taking the car off quite often with with uh, Mick Schumacher. It's it's isn't it and everything else and also the mental attitude is is something that has to be looked at as well you need you need that solid ability as a driver to cope with everything that's going on and the experience is the thing that gives you that in many ways but there's this there's also a lot as you just said you know they has have had drivers in there that have you know crashed quite a lot and you know that's that's a big cost to a team and but they much development as they'd like to do if that keeps happening because they're not learning as much as they would necessarily want to so I think you know someone that can give good feedback on the car and 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 then they work as a team because when we saw uh Kevin Magnussen get that result in Brazil you know the when he qualified the team were ecstatic they were absolutely and you know watching it as a fan and, and someone being involved in the sport but as a fan also just seeing what that meant to the team, to everybody in that team, because they've worked so hard. That was fantastic. It was really amazing to see. It brings it back to like when Jordan won in Spa in 98 with that one too. You know, the, the independence, just getting the, the, the day in the sunshine or the day in the rain as it was in Spa that day. Uh, but, you know, it's just seeing the the, the results, uh, you know, Olivia Panis, I think it was in the Ligier or the Prost, I think it was Ligier Monaco when he won. You know, back in those days, it was great to see that. You know, back to the Haas thing. I mean, I spoke about this at the last uh, last podcast when we reviewed the season. Uh, and I was asked, you know, was it right to get rid of Mick Schumacher and was it right to bring in my, 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 uh, Nico Hulkenberg? And I said yes to both because Nico Hulkenberg is known, as Diane has touched on, he's known for his technical feedback. He's a very technically driven driver. Uh, Haas have finally signed the sponsorship deal that brings them up to the cost cap, so they have the money. They now have a wee bit extra CFD time. They don't want a driver they have to babysit that doesn't quite understand the car and can't give the right feedback back. That's not a slight on Mick Schumacher. He's too early in his career to be able to do it. And then Mick Schumacher was told at the start of the season, you're quick, 
but Gonny still crashed their car. <laughs> didn't quite work out that way, did it? You know, nah. he, he binned it in Saudi Arabia to the point where they just didn't rebuild the car because they're like, we don't have enough spares and we've got another flyaway race to go to. You know, then he'd done it in Monaco and then he'd done it after the red light at the end of a session in, in Japan. Yep. You know, and you just you just can't do that. And in all honesty as well, there was some political things I'd read about as well with regards to Mick Schumacher's entourage behind the stage. I th- behind the scenes, I think Gunter was just done. I think he's done with the, the, the rookies. I think he just needs a couple of, as James has said, a couple of safe pair of hands. We've got a bit more money, a bit more CFB. Let's consolidate our position in, in the in the in the pecking order and let's push it up. And you kinda get more safe than Hulkenberg and Magnuson, to be honest. I'd love to know. I'd love to, and I don't know if you have it on the Netflix program, Drive to Survive, but wouldn't you just love to hear the Gunter Gene House conversation? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh, you guarantee they'll find a way in, definitely. Is that 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 that'll be there. It's funny actually, it would be quite amusing. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk, let's shift off to another news article. You mentioned something in a in the chat to me just that China. Yes. We haven't spoken about China yet, but China has officially been cancelled due to COVID restrictions in China. Yes, they are really really serious about the, the COVID and and keeping that kind of those stats down, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah. We we put an article, or I wrote an article, I think uh, BBC had kind of said that it, it will get cancelled, it just hasn't officially happened. And the basic crux of it is that China have a five-day isolation and then another for the three days. It's five days in an isolation centre and three days at home before you're allowed to leave the country. You also have quarantine when you go into the country. And Formula One are just like, look, we can't ask teams to do this because if we lose half the grid mm. when we're going to the next race in a couple of weeks, and it's just it just was never going to work. Logistics, so, even everything there, you know. I mean, if they're putting you into, they'll be doing the same with anything that comes into the country, I imagine, because yeah, even letters. So it it just was never going to be practical to happen. You couldn't you couldn't do it. You couldn't take the risk. Too risky, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, basically. So, I mean, I think Formula One knew because I think the minute the calendar came out and China was on it, every news agency went, China's there, but watch it. Yeah, there's <laughs> so, a yeah, massive and, asterisk by that name. Yeah, so so that's it. Uh, the interesting thing, now initially it looked like they weren't going to, to add anything in, but they were looking to speak to Baku and see if they could bump that up a week because if they didn't do that, it would have a four-week gap right at the start of the season. We don't want that. Uh, but now... <laughs> Over the last week or so, apparently a, a Portuguese journalist tweeted out that Portimao are now into the final negotiations in regards to getting that fired in somewhere in that to replace it in somewhere in there. Again, logistically weird because you're going you're going from one end of the world to Portimao to back out, but then have you seen the calendar the last few years? They did so, <laughs> Formula One uh, don't mind that. <laughs> no, even uh, though either even though they've got these promises to you know make their uh, journeys cre- greener and whatnot, but... drivers loved Portimao, didn't they? Yeah, it, it was great circuit, and it gave us a really great race the first year in the, in the COVID year. The second year in 21, uh, from what I remember, wasn't really an eye-opener or 
I don't know. It, it will be interesting with the new the aero rules, the new aero rules. Yeah. And, I, I, and I quite liked it because it's very undulating. It's very much, it reminds me of Spa and the old school kind of tracks. You're up and down around the corner. An absolute nightmare to try and drive it when you were doing Formula One on the computer. Uh, <laughs> but blind corner there, haven't you? So you, you come around and you can't see anything. Nothing. Yeah. You see sky, then road. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's a good track in that sense. It'll be interesting to see how if it does come off, how it'll work with the new rules and stuff like that. But yeah, everyone goes on that they want to go back to Malaysia and Sepang, but that's just never going to happen. It's just finances and stuff. My vote's still for Turkey. I love Turkey. I'd, I'd bring that back, but you know. Whatever, right? As long as we get a race to replace it and we still maintain the... Is it 23 races or 24? 23, 24. 24 races. Wow. It's going to be a busy season, isn't it? <laughs> and then interestingly, to tie into that, I don't. I, I can't remember if this has been mentioned on the podcast, but there are probably one around discussions to have a winter shutdown. You know how they have the summer shutdown for two weeks? Everyone goes home and you're not allowed in the factory by somebody to answer the phones. They're looking at doing something similar around winter. Because we've got 24 races, you know, we finish at the middle of the end of November again next year. And they're saying they want to have a couple of weeks where you're like, down tools, get out and leave, not, not leave your work for in the desk total. Nope, nope, you know, <laughs> kind of go home. You've got a family, you know. So hopefully there's a bit of common sense around the F1 world and they actually implement something like that. Because the Formula One teams are their own worst enemy, you know, so... They need yeah. to do something. If if they are allowed the time, they will use the time. So, yeah, it'd be good for yes. their employees, especially going to 24 races over the year. It's going to be a bit mental. To see as well, and I don't, this is not something that's been confirmed, but I think there was some talk that, you know, teams were potentially looking at having like a split shift. So having so many people half the year and half the year, depending on what their role is within the car. I mean, obviously the, the chief engineers and things like that, I think that'd be difficult for drivers. They like to have that consistency, but looking at the rest of the team layout. And I think that's something that potentially makes sense because, you know, you, if you've got two teams effectively and then you just you know get some time out and you get a bit more, a bit fresher when you go to the next few events, I think as they're doing so many races, maybe that's something they're going to have to look at, but then I don't know how that will affect costs because, you know, you'll have those outgoings, won't you, for the same calibre of, of people needed on a team. Mm. Split that, then you still got to pay them the same amount of money, so maybe that won't work. But just from a logistics point of view, I had heard that was being talked about, but I don't know if it's progressed to anything other than just talk. It makes, it makes sense, definitely, I think so. It's a lot to ask. The biggest problem with that, though, is, and I think this is this is what tripped up Red Bull and the cost cap issue, was to do with long-term sick and wages to do with that employee and things. And if they're on long-term sick, it doesn't count. But then the new person that comes in then got hired, and Red Bull was saying, well, it doesn't, you know, it was, there's, so there's a lot of... Costs go up, would go up. Yes, basically, yeah. Um, we'll have to see be a way around it if they can. Okay, well, we, I mean, we said there wasn't much news to talk about, but we actually got got chatting for quite a while. Then, quite impressed of how much we we dragged out of what very little news uh, <laughs> is going on in the, in the motorsport world. Oh, the, the livery who, whose livery was released today? You said earlier for the um, F, Formula E. Formula E Maserati team. And you've seen it, Coops. I haven't seen it. What, what did you think of it? I haven't. Oh, um... it, it's got nice dark royal blues in there, and I'm a sucker for a bit of royal blue. And it's also got the LGBTQ. Rainbow on the front of the wings, which is a very nice touch. It's their first appearance 
in Formula E. They took. They, they, am I right in saying they took over a team, or was it's not a Mercedes? It was Venturi. Oh, was it? Venturi, that's right. It was the uh, Susie Wilson. Yeah, Susie Wilson. Oh, that's it, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, so they rebadged that as Maserati. Uh, Mercedes was taken over by McLaren. McLaren, yeah. I got, you should have known I, got it the, I got it the wrong way around. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah the, speaking of Formula E, I'm... I'm oh. Sorry, this is like a quiz game, isn't it? Right, who was it? <laughs> it is. We, we should have had some notes, but we haven't. We haven't prepared for this one at all. Yeah, the Formula E season is going to be quite interesting. It's the Gen Three era. There's a lot of changes to the grid. New teams, new partnerships. You know, DS have now went with Penske Dragon. I think. You know, you've you've got McLaren in there, so it's a vested interest for about two thirds of the people that work at everything F1. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I I I've, I got more into Formula E last year. I've I've dipped in and out the years before, but last year I watched it, and I'm really interested in this this new season that's coming up. Uh, not just because it's probably the only racing that's on in that time of year, you know. <laughs> I think uh, are, again, there's still quite a lot of development work to be done, so it will be to see who comes out on top to start. But I think there's still a fair amount to be done there. But it's always, it's got great drivers in Formula E, all the drivers that we've known about for years. So top class drivers that really put their all into it. And over the years, you know, it's not been for everyone, Formula E, but I think it's it's definitely from a racing perspective and the people that are in it, without doubt, you know, one that is an exciting thing to, to watch and be involved in. It may not always cost that. Sometimes when you watch it on TV, but you, you can't take away the atmosphere and the challenge and the sort of desire from drivers to win. I think Formula E is definitely on like the rise and the growth of fans. I think I think when it first came out, I don't think many people really thought much of it or when it didn't have as much backing as people expect it. And I think now I think where people are exploring to watch different motorsport. And because I think for me, especially just starting in Formula One, I knew I wanted to watch more and learn more about the different ones and going from Formula One to Formula E and different things like that, I think is really great. And I think we are seeing the transition of Formula One fans going to things like Formula E and things to watch as well. I think that's great. It just shows the growth of motorsport in general then. And for the drivers, you know, behind the wheel in Formula E, there's so much going on, so much they've got to do. You know, they're talking to their engineer constantly to conserve energy and work out what they need to do when that's no mean feat you know there's there's a lot going on behind the wheel for the driver yeah definitely challenging and it shows the it kind of gives you a different insight into the like different mechanical elements I suppose then it makes it more interesting and better for your knowledge I suppose and enjoyment Okay, I, I think we've I think we've touched on on everything news newsworthy over the past week or so. Let's let's have a chat with our esteemed guest, uh, <laughs> Diana Biggs. Thank you very much for coming to chat to us. Can you tell us where it all began for you? Did you were you always into to motorsport as a as a young child growing up, or was it something you you touched on later in life? Oh, I grew up in Scotland, and I was a bit of a tomboy when I was a teenager. And my friends were into club rallying and uh, I used to hang out with the older boys because I thought I was a tomboy. <laughs> and we used to go club, I used to go club rallying. So I'd help them, you know, change the tyres and get quite involved with everything. But the biggest thing that I loved from all of it was the atmosphere and the emotion and the drama and just that desire to all muck in as a team to fix the cars, to do whatever. And I just loved it. And I just thought, no, I really, I, 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 I didn't really know then. I did know then, but I wasn't 100% sure how I was going to get to where I wanted to go. Mm. That 
thing that always stuck in my mind and uh, I, I pursued that as, as quickly as I could once I sort of left school and left college and moved to London. And then into journalism, obviously, was 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 your first port of call and then... I worked in television, well, yes, I did do journalism, but I worked in television production. Oh, OK, sorry. I learned about making television programmes and that was that was really interesting, a really good thing to do. And even now it's really helped me now sort of looking when I'm doing producing roles and stuff like that. So I just learned about live TV and there was a lot more live TV going on then. So I was started as, you know, a runner on the ground. And then I just developed my way through into editorial, onto the production side. But I just wanted to learn, you know, so I took every opportunity that was presented just to learn. And of course, the more you learn, the more you do, you know, and the more you things you end up learning about and are able to do. And, and, it, and it's just an, and it's an exciting career. You know, television is an exciting industry to be in. But motorsport was the driving force. I've always thought I wanted to, to do that. And I wasn't sure how I was going to get the opportunity. And then, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing and an opportunity came and then I just made the most of it. So how did that opportunity come then? What, with what with what motorsport was it first? Formula Palmer Audi, Jonathan Palmer, who owns the MSV circuits, set up a racing championship. And I remember reading about it. And so I made contact. And at the beginning, he just wasn't interested. And then I went to the autosport show in January. So I, I went up and introduced myself. I, by the way, I nearly you know stumbled over my words and I, I wasn't really sure how I was going to do it but I just did it and I just thought well I've got to go for it I've got no choice and had a conversation with him and he said oh yeah here's a number ring this person and it was a, a guy called Andrew Marriott who's a motorsport commentator journalist writer writes books in, have you, do, do you know him Coops Andrew Marriott you know Andrew? no the name rings a bell but I, I don't know why well, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's just amazing he had a production company at the time and he was making the program or Jonathan and so I went to see him and I said look you know can I can I be on for the whole season and he said well no not really you can come on a test and uh, we'll just see how you get on so I thought okay so I went to a test at Alton Park and I turned up they just gave me a microphone and said right go on then I said do <laughs> so, well, you'll work it out won't you and I was like <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here and anyway I just took the mic and Went off and chatted to people and walked up and down the pit lane and interviewed people. And I just thought I'd made a complete mess of the whole thing. I was just bumbling along. And in the end, he said, oh, that was excellent work. That's right. You're on. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Oh, wow. I didn't think it was. I was like, I'm sure I wasn't that, that good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a test to see what you ended up doing. And actually what you did do was ask people about themselves, what their jobs were and what they needed to do. So that was you know trying to tell the story so that that's something that's always stuck in my mind you know you'll know it as writers you know you're, you're trying to tell a story so you've got to have a beginning middle and an end but you've got to make it got to get the, the good bits from it and, uh, and and that was really all that stuck in my mind and that's what I ended up doing and then it progressed from there. Did you find there were hurdles and more hurdles as a woman trying to come into to kind of journey well the production of, of, of motorsport and, and that sort of thing? at the beginning it was much more challenging I remember being on one event and and got called into the main sort of tv hub area and was quizzed on two or three things and uh, I remember saying why am I the only one in here being asked all these questions about flags and this and the other and they were like well no reason we just wanted to know if you knew what you were doing so I was like <laughs> didn't react to it you just had to do it and then after that really I never really had any problems I just did what I did kept my head down 
was really focused on my job and what I was doing. And, and I wanted to be better all the time. You know, I wanted to learn as much as possible. So it, it was OK. And, I, and, you know, I didn't really. And over the years, uh, you know, I have seen lots of women in the sport. I know we talked, you know, last few years has been this big thing about more women in motorsport. And it's all done great stuff for a lot of people. But there have been a lot of, you know, mechanics and data engineers, certainly in British touring cars, for instance, certainly over the last eight years or so, there's, there's, there's been a number of women in different roles. They just keep a low profile. Now it's great because you're either good enough to do the job or you're not, so you do the job. But it's great for everyone. It's so mixed now. No one really, no one cares. As long as you can do the job and you're, you know, doing the best you can. And, and some of the data engineers are, are amazing. They just do such a, a good job. Do you think there's still like enough awareness in schools and from young, young ages that they can go into these stuff? Because I think from what I found when I go into school, it was never, motorsport was never really, not that it wasn't an option, I just didn't know the option was there. And I think that's what happens a lot at the younger ages. But obviously now I've looked into it and explored it, there are a lot of women there where I can look up to, such as yourself, and see how they're doing it. And I'm like, whoa, this is possible. And I think over the last few years, like you said, it has happened lots for women and that's great and I'm so excited now you know the last the last 10 years really probably the last eight years I mean Susie Wolf we talked about earlier she set up the Dare to be different uh, campaign that really started a lot of stuff off for, for kids in schools for females in schools to learn and, and, and understand because she did karting so she wanted to sort of bring all that in because when she was doing it obviously it wasn't as populated as it is now and I think the awareness is there I think people realize they they can do it. I mean I did something for Girls on Track which is another initiative set up for for kids to learn and I've done some presentation stuff for them and I remember doing something at Thruxton it was about five six months ago and I hosted a day for all these kids they were all doing different things and I was doing television presenting with them and there was this young girl she was eight and her, and her name was Sam Samantha and I was just astounded. She was amazing. I mean, she was eight years of age. So I'd given them a scenario, right? Think about it. You're going to be live on TV. You're going to be live on Sky. You're in a pit lane. You've got to tell me what's going on, who's doing. And some of them stumbled and, and, and you know, it was just a bit, trying to be a bit of, make it a bit of fun. But she was amazing. She just got that microphone and went, hi, I'm uh, I'm here at Thruxton in the pit lane for Sky Sports. And on pole position today, it's Jade Edwards and racing and I was a, I was just gobsmacked <laughs> <laughs> so they had to all pretend you know they were drivers and whatever and she was going so why did you crash why did you crash into something <laughs> <laughs> to see her in a few years definitely on our screens because she was she was superb she was so confident just a natural talent for it then but she knew, she knew what she was sort of she thought about it, you know, and and it was great. So those things are great when you can show people that yes, they can do it. And we had another girl that was in one of the, the sessions that I did, and she was incredibly shy and she she got quite tearful and she didn't want to be on camera. So I left it, left it, left it. And then eventually I got her to come and talk to me and she did it. And I and after her little face was like, Oh my god, I did it, didn't I? Like, yeah. You asked me a question, that's all I wanted you to do. One question. I said, you did it. I, you must feel better. And she said, I do. I was just petrified. So little things like that, that all make the difference is what everyone wants for anybody, really, isn't it? You know, any, any sort of confidence booster you can get. We've all been in positions where, you know, you come out of your comfort zone and you have to come out of your comfort zone. And when you do, you just feel a sense of achievement and you want people to experience that and then they can apply it to whatever they need to apply it to. 
So what one piece of advice would you give to a young woman, you know, even young, young girls going through school themselves? What, what would you say is the best piece of advice you've either received yourself that you'd like to pass on or that you've just kind of worked out yourself throughout the years? The quote that I would give is, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. So do your homework, do your research, learn about what it is you're talking about, whether it's engineering, mechanics, driving, presenting, journalism, Learn about your subject matter and just try and think about what you would want to know. So if you were not in that industry, what would you want to know? And just be focused on what you're doing. Don't be caught up in anything else, anywhere anyone else is doing, which is an easier thing to say than to do. Hmm. But so what you can do and be, you know, quietly confident that, that you can do it. And if you don't know, ask. Most people are scared to ask questions, but don't ask. Ask questions. Good advice. Got a question for Diana? I think more of an observation just now. You were touched on the, 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 the girls on track. And one of the things we do every so often, me and James, and we've got another girl, Emma, who's part of the kind of admin team. We kind of look at everybody that's involved and think, okay, so we need to bring in some more people. And the passion that we get, we tend to tell her, I'll jump in and fire a post on the, it's the girls or the girls on track community UK Facebook group. You find an advert in there and see the hits we get. And it's not just people that come back and go, I want to be on your podcast. They give you a screed of stuff. It's amazing. The things we, we, we sit and we read through and, it, and it's, I've done this, I've done that, why do this, why try that, why do this. And then on the other side of it, you get the guys that just come on and go, is that position still on? I want to be on. And you're like, <laughs> we can I need more? Like, yeah. It's that all these scenarios like the, you know the dirty the different girls on track it's giving people an, an opportunity to test mm -hmm. and then they go oh i like that so i need to ask something else and then of course it opens up a community of people that you can tap into to find out the information and then suddenly you're not maybe doing it face to face straight away but you've just started that ball rolling and then when you yep. do being face to face you're ready for it you're a bit more prepared yeah, I mean, we've had so many of the, it's, a lot of the girls come on and they come in and do it, then they go on and do other things. We'll get, we'll get somebody now that's moved on, not because of us, but because she came into us and then she's went over, she's working at Mercedes with some of the guys. That, I think it's Elise is doing some work with uh, one of the ex-McLaren guys. He's got an apprenticeship. He, she, he just, uh, she's got, you know, there's so many. It's amazing, the passion, and now, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an older gentleman. I've been watching Formula One since the early 90s. And it's only been in the last, what, three or four years. And I, and I don't mean this. This might sound worse than it is. I didn't notice the... I didn't <laughs> Am I going to have to edit this out, Coops? No, no. <laughs> but in the, early, in the early 90s, for a long time, I didn't notice the female passion for Formula One because you just didn't see it. It was just so male orientated. It was, you know, you didn't have the female reporters. You had the male commentators, which you still do. But then you've got the likes of the, the most amazing uh, new guy, uh, girl on Formula One, Naomi Schaff. I mean, she was amazing, um, and and how well and she's and and how well she done. But I'm kind of divert, diverting over. But just the the way it moved, and it wasn't it wasn't gradual for me. Uh, for me, it wasn't gradual. It just all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, all right, and it was fine. No, I agree. It just suddenly, it just suddenly looked around, and and it was in you, and you were going, oh, I'd seen it for for years, but but people were low key, so they were behind the scenes doing stuff. Yeah. That's right, because it wasn't like that. I mean, I'm I'm working with a 
a young driver called Ella Lloyd, who's doing genetic, she was doing Genetta Juniors this year. And she's, what a super, super little racer she is. She's only 18, but she's incredibly shy. And she'll hate me for saying it, but she is. But I'm help trying, working with her just to develop her confidence because in the car and behind the wheel, she is she's so analytical and, and clever. And, you know, she's not come from a racing background. Her mum and dad were not in racing. She just, they just sent her on a track day once and she loved it and came out and did really well. And they were like, oh, that's interesting. And now she's just learning so much about the car, the racing. And she's she's really great. She's definitely, you know, got a future. She's going to do GT5s next year, which is part of the British GT bill and it's just amazing she's got no fear you know you put her in behind the wheel and she's off but you try and talk to her out of the car and she's quite you know she's a bit like shy but once she develops that confidence a little bit more she again will be will be a little star I think excellent so the future of motorsport for women is is in good hands then let's move back to your career then what's been your favorite kind of motorsport to to cover has it been covered the obvious kind of formula one or do you enjoy the, the, the you know touring cars more or WEC or, or whatever it is I, I like sports cars I like I like Formula One but I've covered a lot of sports cars I've covered Le Mans six times now and I actually love Le Mans 24-hour race um don't mind being awake for the whole race the first year I did it we were definitely awake for 30 plus hours wow. but you caught up in the whole environment and the whole build-up to the Le Mans race is fantastic you know you've got a lot going on with scrutineering and leading up to it then you've got night practice day practice and everyone's around and there's a real hub of stuff going on and then you've got the race and and you know it's sort of two three four in the morning when the sun's going down and coming up it's it's amazing it's just like oh this is this is incredible so a great a great event and covered the Daytona 24 hours as well same thing although it was a bit colder in Daytona than it was in France it's just being on different tarmac seeing different cultures and different people racing but sports cars I like it's certainly endurance racing just for the longevity because it's longer and you just feel like you're getting more into it Coops, Coops you've got a question for Diana about that I was just reading up and getting a wee bit of information and there was something popped up about you doing 100 interviews in 22 hours at the 24 hour Le Mans with 150 drivers something like that so yeah that's the biggest thing is making sure you know who everyone is of course you don't know <laughs> certainly nowadays that you don't know the names of and I've been working with Radio Le Mans doing the Creventic it's called the 24-hour series but they do six 12-hour races and a couple of 24-hour races and it's more gentleman drivers but they're starting to bring in a lot of you know drivers that have done Formula 3 through the ranks to come in and pair with the gentleman pairings. And I love it. It's absolutely superb. It's like racing was sort of 15 years ago. People are friendly. They're very competitive. And they don't mind if you don't know who they are. Because I always had a bit of a problem with that. I was like, oh, no, no, I need to know who everyone is. And I don't want to make a fool of myself if I get the wrong name. But they don't they don't mind that. They, they, they're just happy that you're interviewing them about what they're doing and, and the race. And so there's a great atmosphere. And, I, and I, I love that whole sort of involvement, really, of everybody. Everybody gets involved. And then they'll do silly things. Like I was interviewing a German driver in Portobello, and he was six foot three, I think he was. Well, I'm five foot four. So I walked <laughs> into the garage and I said, Christoph, can I interview you? No, and he was up. And he looked really angry. And I was thinking, what's happened? Something's happened. I don't know. I'm thinking, God, the car hasn't gone out and I've just come in at the wrong moment. 
And so he was shouting to someone in German. I don't speak German, so I didn't really know what he was saying, but he just didn't look happy. And then the next minute, this guy came running out with a box in his hand and he took it to the the pit lane. And I'm like looking at him, what on earth are you doing? And he put the box down and then Christoph came down to me and he went, you get on there. So he made me stand on the box and then they all started laughing because it it looked so ridiculous because, you know, he was so tall. I was short and they just thought this was the funniest thing. And, and it was, it was hilarious. It was very, very funny. <laughs> Definitely. You know, humour with the team and they were all laughing and taking pictures. And after they made me a cup of tea, so it was all good. So touching on that, you must have spoken to some really kind of, you know, really big drivers over the, over the years in terms of like the, the big, you know, the Lewis Hamilton's, the Sebastian Vettel's, the Fernando Alonso's, who's been your, your kind of, the one, have you ever been starstruck when you when you've spoken to them? Yeah, Michael Schumacher. I interviewed him once at Silverstone about 15, 15 odd years ago, and he was in the media pen, and he'd gone round and you know did the interviews with everyone in the pen, and I was the last person. And I was actually I could feel my hand going like that. I was like, oh, it's Michael Schumacher, and I saw him look at me, and he was going to walk off, and and it was Andrew Marriott who I talked about earlier happened to be there because he was producing. And he knew Michael and he said, no, look, could you just do a quick interview with Diana for, you know, Silverstone TV? And I could see him go, God, yeah, all right then. So he did the interview and of course I just stumbled over my words straight away. I was like, oh, and and he just started smirking and I said it again and he just started laughing. So we ended up just laughing because I'd stumbled over my words and then I got to the question and it was great. And he was, he was, he was great, but I was a bit starstruck. It was Michael Schumacher. I was like, oh my God. What a legend. Absolutely. I think we'd all be that way around Michael Schumacher. Who who out of the motorsport world that you haven't been able to interview or speak to or or kind of interact with? And this could be someone that maybe because they because they're no longer with us, sadly. Who who would you have liked in your career to kind of to talk to over the years? It would have to be James Hunt. That would be a controversial interview, I I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Him. I think he would have, you know, that era I wasn't as much into it then as I know but James Hunt would have just been everything I've watched about him or read about him in the past he's just you know, just a bit kooky so I think that would have been great they were having a great time weren't they Hesketh from the whole the whole shebang it just looked looked a lot of fun <laughs> the party boys of F1 back in the day quite a few of them but I can't tell you who they are Oh, <laughs> can you give us a, a nationality who who is still the party boys the finish <laughs> I don't think you know maybe five years ago parties were a bit more of a thing but I don't I don't think it's so much like that anymore certainly not on a race weekend which you'd expect you wouldn't expect that really on a race weekend it's after <laughs> good any other questions for Diana would you go to uh, Amy Amy you've got a question for Diana have you ever in the middle of an interview say and things just aren't going the way they're going they're not responding to questions how how do you respond to situations like that you just have to focus on what you need to ask and just keep asking what you need to ask or end the conversation if it's really not going to go (laughs) which i've had and watching obviously you've been in motors for a while and uh, watching people come through the ranks yourself probably and have you ever spoken to someone when they were say lower down in in motorsport in the early days in the grassroots sports and seen them grow all the way to where they are now i guess sebastian sebastian vettel he was in formula bmw at the beginning lewis hamilton was in formula renault when i've interviewed him yeah he's, he's gone to the stratospheric place that he is now <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of the drivers, but they've they've all 
you know, you, you, when they know you and they get used to you, you become part of the furniture. So they know that you're going to turn up at some point to ask questions or, or, or talk to them. And then they forget all about you. I mean, I, Daniel Ricardo, I used to cover F3 and I saw him in Spa and he had no clue who I was. I had to remind him. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> so, no. what what is it you're doing now within as you're saying producing for f1 tv what does that entail that entails the live the live events and programs that we do so the presenters will be there and they will be will be setting up interviews for them while they're live on air because it's all instant it all happens really quickly so putting everything together timing wise working with the team of people making sure that we're ready to go on air at the right time Everything works so everyone can hear. So if the presenter can't hear and you can hear, you're talking to the director and other producer back at Biggin Hill and setting up the scene for you've got someone else on standby to be interviewed so they know what's going on. So it's all manic, manic, manic and just making sure you've got enough people with stories and interviewees for the presenters and that they know what they're doing when they're going to a break and everything that comes into that. And some of the stuff we do pre-recorded, that's that's easy peasy. But again, you've just got, got to manage the whole process and make sure that everyone knows what they're doing when, as well as the cameramen and the sound guys, they all know they all need to know where they need to be at a certain time and what time we're doing something on and how long it's running for. So yeah, not a lot of time to think about anything else other than that immediate moment of stuff that you're doing. So is that a challenge that you enjoy or do you, would you prefer being in front of the camera or in front of the microphone and doing that sort of thing? I actually like doing both. I think the experience I take from being in front of the camera to behind the camera, I feel like I can, I can bring a certain amount of knowledge there that helps. And then if I get, if it gets sprung on me that I need to be on camera, which was what happened with F1 in Belgium, they asked me just to jump into the pit lane and cover free practice. And I was thinking, so yeah, being able to just turn it around pretty quickly and do it is good. See the people like Will Buxton, Laura Winter, and Rosanna Tennant, and Lawrence Barreto. Great guys that to work with. They're easy to work with. They're great. They're really knowledgeable, passionate about what they do. So that makes the job as well easier. And have you made any massive faux pas? So we've had we've had a few people that have answered this question and have had kind of a fantastic, maybe slightly embarrassing story, but some, something that they like to share. Has, has anything ever happened to you live on on air that you that you kind of cringe when you look back? I don't think you can see it now because I don't know if it went out live at all. But a number of years ago at Le Mans, interviewing, trying to interview. Gerhard Berger, and he he wasn't very happy, so he said a few expletives at me, and I had to end up apologising. <laughs> and he wasn't happy, so... <laughs> oh, dear. I think I've called drivers the wrong name occasionally, but it was middle of the night at Le Mans, and, and it was two James in the same car, and I got the wrong James. And, you know, but these things happen. There's nothing you can do. That's, that's just sometimes how it is. And uh, what about any other series that you'd like to cover? Is there anything you haven't done that you'd like to do? No, I, I, I like working in, in motorsport in particular. I think at this point in my career, it's too late to change to something else. But I did cover the Red Bull Air Race for one year in 2010. And I've got to say that was, that was a lot of fun. That was mental. And I had to do a flight in one of the planes. I had to do the aerobatics course just to try and scare me senseless, which they have been doing. And as we hung upside down for the fourth time, I thought, I'm going to fall out of this 
going to fall out and I don't know what to do because you've got to open the canopy to get yourself out. I wasn't, it was just, I'd relaxed into it, but the belts had come a little bit loose and they, they just thought this was the funniest thing to sort of take you through an aerobatics. That must have been amazing. That must be like a career highlight. I'd love that. Oh yeah, because after I did the flight, the next week I had to. I think we were in we were in New York, but we had to fly from the we had to, the the hangar would be ten miles away from where the media and all the guests were for the you know for the planes to get up to speed and do the aerobatics course. And I they flew me around the Statue of Liberty, and it was the Red Bull helicopter. Do you remember the Red Bull helicopter? It used to be all the Red Bull colours. Well, they used to use this at, at the air race. And we flew around once and he said, you like that, didn't you? Do you want to do it again? I went, yes, please. And <laughs> I ran the Statue of Liberty in a helicopter going, oh, my God, I could, it was right there. So, yeah, that was amazing. And that, is, that's, that must be something that not many people get to do in the world. Uh, and, and all the pilots were fun. They were really, you know, jet fighter pilots, BA pilots, you name it. But I, I can tell you the parties were fantastic any other questions for diana before we wrap up this interview yeah i've got one and i'll I'll probably know the answer to it but if someone was to come up to you and say right i want to go to a track a race event which one would you advise me to go on i kind of think i know what you're going to say but i might be wrong any motorsport event yes i would say sebring okay that's not what i thought it was going to be (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Le Mans is great for the reasons I said earlier, but Sebring, they have a party from the Friday morning to the Sunday night when they do that race there, and it gets hundreds of fans, and they're all having a great time. They have their own party going on at the circuit, and they dress up, and they really engage, and they come in to meet all the drivers, and it's a great circuit. There's always, it always throws up superb racing. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say Sebring, if you wanted to do something a bit different, you know, to... To, to get that atmosphere, definitely. Excellent. We haven't had that before, so that's that's a, a good answer to, the, to that question. Well, I think that's all we need to chat about today. Thank you very much for coming to chat to us today, Diana. Thank you very much for inviting me. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, uh, very nice to meet you. You too. Thank you. You too. We do also have an interview with Maximilian Gunther, the Formula E driver, and it's, as it's our special 100th episode, we're going to give you that right now. This was recorded last week before Germany got kicked out of the World Cup, but Cara sat down with Max and they had a really good conversation about his career today. So we're going to feed that into the podcast now. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. We have an exclusive interview today with Max Emilian Gunther, I'm your host, Cara Bostock. Make sure to follow us on all socials at JoinEF1. So hello, Max. How are you? Hello, everyone. Yeah, pleasure for me to, um, to be part of the, of the podcast. I'm very well in the middle of all my preparations for the upcoming Formula E season. Many changes, new team, and yeah, very excited. No, I feel like we're catching you today at a really exciting time. You're just about to join Maserati, this new exciting team. You know, Formula One's growing, Formula E, sorry, is growing and growing. You know, how's it all going? It's going really well, I have to say. Already now, I'm I'm really feeling at home in my new team. It feels a bit like a like a family already to me. So obviously, you know, I'm based in Monaco since. Yeah, a bit more than two years now, and the team is based in Monaco, so all my simulator work I can do now almost from home. So it's really pretty cool. And yeah, for sure, you know, the preparations are yeah in, in full swing. The car is new, the Gen 3 Formula E car. Everybody has heard about it. Yeah, I can tell you it's it's really cool to drive, really powerful. 
on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, the braking system, even more complex than the old one. New tires, energy management will be different. Yeah, just many changes. And yeah, I've had now one and a half days so far in the car and it all went really well, feeling comfortable already. Obviously, we we push for for performance, for new ideas, for improvements. But yeah, it's all all going really well and excited to to get the season started very soon. I will have many more questions for you about Maserati in this new journey, but I feel like it would be best to, you know, start at the start of your motorsport journey, really. So we obviously know you got into Formula 2 in 2018 and then European Formula 3 before that. But could you tell us about how you started out in the sport? You know, when you got into a car, were you like, yes, this is the career for me? Yeah, it all started when I was six years old. I was watching Formula One together with my father on television, actually. And yeah, I became a fan quite quickly. And then I said, yeah, I want to do something something like this. So obviously, we started very small. We started with, with, with karting. And yeah, really from the first moment I... I got in touch with a go-kart. I, I loved it. You know, it was so much fun for me. I, yeah, then quite soon did my first race and then, you know, success came and then it just all, you know, kept going and it was my, really my passion. Yeah. From, from the very first moment. And yeah, I had this dream, you know, a, a dream to, to become a professional racing driver. Obviously if you're six, seven, eight years old, you are yeah very far away, but yeah, it was, it was my passion. I was yeah always believing in this dream together with my family you know i'm very grateful for the support they, they gave to me throughout my whole career still now without them i wouldn't be here and yeah it was a very hard way up i can i can say you know from different levels of karting formula bmw adac formula masters which is now formula four then faf3 formula two and then yeah now since four or five years uh, in, in formula e so yeah you know i come from a normal family and yeah i was always you know, about yeah, every year again, you know, a bit of fight to survive, I would say, because yeah, you had to find the sponsors that 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 are supporting you. So the only real thing I could influence was my performance on track. This is what I try to do every year. And yeah, then at one point I turned a professional in, in Formula E. And obviously that was an amazing moment for me, for me, my whole family, everybody, because uh, yeah, at this point we we accomplished one big one big goal. And yeah, now you know, I'm living my dream every day. Every day I wake up, I I do what I love the most. And yeah, really love the, um, the competition and the excitement in, in Formula E. I think a lot, what a lot of people don't realize, maybe even a lot of motorsport fans, is that no motorsport driver's journey is linear. It's always, you know, the struggles and, you know, will they get a seat fighting for that survival? Would you say, you know, could you talk to me about maybe the resilience you've had to find and how that helps you when you do become a professional driver? Yeah, I think resilience is actually the the perfect word for, for what you need in, in in this sport, I think, in, in particular, but yeah, as well in obviously in general, if you want to to be successful, I feel in, in life, as you say, it's it's not a linear progression. It's it's usually the the low moments that make you grow the most and to always stand up from them and yeah as i said i was always somebody who was very focused on on myself on what i can influence on my side and yeah this is really what what drives me in in life to yeah constantly become a better version of my of myself because i feel yeah this is what you what you need and what i want to yeah to to perform on the very very best level and to um, to fulfill my my dreams as well in the future 
Yeah, I feel like you really give off sort of that positive energy. And then that's so important as well for the people around you. I now want to talk about Formula 2 because, you know, 2018, getting there in itself is such a huge achievement. What was what was that season like? Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool, pretty special, I have to say. I I mean, I only raced one, one season in Formula 2, 2018. But um, yeah, I came from FIA Formula 3. I was fighting there for two years in a row for for the championship and to be fair at this point it was just not even on my list to do formula 2 because it was so expensive to, or so high the, the budget and already formula 3 was was very tough to to find to find sponsors and yeah then everything fell into place and i got a bwt as my main sponsor at the time at the end of my formula 3 time and then yeah together with them i went into into formula 2 which was obviously the great unfortunately the the package and the team i was in was was not competitive but still you know we we were fighting hard the whole year i yeah scored one one victory in in silverstone another podium and a few good results so yeah it's a great championship really with you know with the tire management the pit stops and yeah just an amazing race car at the end of the day so yeah i i enjoy looking back to to this one season in formula 2 you talked about there how difficult it was to get sponsorship. Could you maybe talk to us about that process a bit more? Because I think as an outsider, you're just like, where do you even start? Is that something I imagine that your family really were able to support you with as well? Correct. I mean, you know, there are obviously different ways to to make it happen. I mean, at the end, you know, our sport, I mean, it's so beautiful on the one hand. You know, it's it's amazing to 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 race these these fast cars and to push yourself, to push the car to the very limit. But yeah, there is this side of this financial side as well, which obviously is uh, is difficult. And it starts from the very beginning with karting. You know, already in karting, the budget is very high. I think nowadays even higher than than it was when when I was racing there. And then yeah, you make the first big step to like Formula Four level, which is already yeah big amount of money. And then you know it's just getting more and more every every year as you progress. And yeah, as I said, I, I come from a normal family so all we had to finance everything with, with with sponsors as you can imagine when you start with karting and you know there is no tv coverage and so on it's very difficult to find sponsors like paying for a 10 12 year old boy you know i mean yes it's his passion it's cool what he's doing but the return for for the companies is obviously it's difficult to to uh, yeah for them to to get a return and yeah then okay basically it was simple i focused on my job on the racetrack and my father so from the very beginning he he was yeah managing me he's still doing it now and yeah he yeah as i was growing in the sport he was growing as well with his network and with knowing more and more people and yeah i think we could write more than one book about all we we experienced in those in those years but yeah somehow it's just always worked out and yeah we we kept going stepping up and yeah it was a big roller coaster and yeah as i said then when you when you make your dream come true to become a professional it it all really paid off yeah yeah that's pretty amazing when you talk about it then and like this journey that you've both been on it just must feel so good now you're like you know this professional motorsport driver in formula e and i generally think if your dad did just did decide to write a book about it I'm sure. I'm sure that'll do very well. In your 28, 2018 season, you're with you know, George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon, Nick DeFries, you know, these big names now. And Nick DeFries, obviously, you must know well from Formula E. And now he's he's transitioning to Formula One after those years. What do you make of that? 
yeah, I mean, definitely was it was a good period of uh, competitive period of time in, in F3 and F2 when I was racing there. So yeah, quite a good generation coming there into into F1, some of them as well in Formula E or other high class um, championships. So yeah, competition was was great. And yeah, I mean, you know, very happy for for all of them that, you know, they some of them made it to the to the yeah to the pinnacle of our sport to formula one and yeah but to, to be honest you know like for me like if i speak about myself for sure you know formula one when you when you grow up with racing it's it's your dream you know you want to you want to get there and but yeah then with the time as well you you realize that you know it's financially and as well political driven sport so uh, i mean we, we all know this that it's not only the performance side that that brings you into the, the pinnacle of our sport so that's why yeah i am you know i'm, I'm very happy where i am now in in formula e it's uh, it's a world championship and the level of, of racing is is incredibly high both on the team side and on the driver side so um, yeah I, I really found my my home there when you first joined Formula E, you were a test driver for Dragon Racing and then you got promoted and then you sort of took a back step and then, you know, you kept the seat from the summer. That initial period, were you really like, right, I've got to prove myself here? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You know, it was it was a great opportunity that I got there with, with Dragon, with the team of Jay Penske. Very, very grateful for, for getting this opportunity. As you said, it was not a difficult, uh, not, not an easy season, was was actually... Yeah, quite hard to, you know, do a few races, then to step outside the car, come back. And then, yeah, obviously, you know, you, you know that, and at the time it was like this, that basically, you know, I was racing in Rome. I didn't know if I'm going to race the week after in, in Paris. And it was going like this for, for quite a few races. So for sure, pressure is high, but at the end, you know, I think, yeah, in our sport or in general, yeah, pressure is something you need to... You need to be able to deal with so yeah usually i perform quite well when when it's getting getting exciting so yeah had some some good races there in this in this season and yeah at the end as you say proved myself in the in the championship and then got a call from from bmw at the end of the year if i if i want to join them in the in the factory team so for sure that was was a fantastic fantastic step for me yeah, and it goes back to that resilience almost that we spoke about, like being able to cope with the pressure and really use it to thrive. And then like you say, you get the call from BMW and then that's that season you go on and you have your first win in San Diego. How did that feel? Incredible. I think still speaking about, about Santiago 2020, yeah, probably still the best day in my life. Like I can remember pretty much every every second of this day and yeah you know first first win is a professional driver uh, in, in formula e and yeah it was yeah the moment you achieve this you like there's like a movie in your head like of all the memories and all the ups but especially the downs that you that you went through in your career to to then to arrive to this point so yeah very grateful at, at this time and yeah big memory for me this one Formula E seems to be gaining so much attention at the moment and this following year on year. On the track, do you, do you feel that? Do you feel the attention? I mean, absolutely. You know, Formula E is, uh, is yeah, together with Formula 1, together with IndyCar and, and yeah, if you take as well the, the World Endurance Championship, you know, those are the highest championships that you can you can race in and there are not many championships with, the, with let's say, being an FIA World Championship. So it's pretty special to, to be part of it. And these electric cars are super exciting to drive. You know, usually we always race on on street circuits. That's something 
I enjoy a lot and we all I think as a racing driver we enjoy a lot and yeah for sure it's it's growing and you know we we just enjoy the the competition and yeah as well the the feedback from the fans I think a lot of new fans young fans that, that we address in, in Formula E so yeah it's pretty pretty exciting sometimes the complaint from Formula One fans is that the same people always win and it's quite predictable whereas I feel Formula E just throws that door open it you know it really sort of levels the playing field and feels like there's opportunities for anyone as a driver that must be something that is really exciting as well absolutely it is I think you know in Formula E if you like even if you just well not just but even if you stand on the podium not even winning you yeah you're very proud because uh, you know that on this day you know you basically you had to beat everybody like there is not not a single driver or team where you say oh, okay anyway they are behind me you know no matter what so really like in formula e it can go from very high to very low in a split second you know from one day to the other and uh, it just all needs to fit together because it's such a tight competition everything is so close and yeah when you when you achieve this like these great results you yeah you really appreciate a lot and you know it's yeah it doesn't come as often as you would love to because yeah the level is just so high and yeah so many factors that often you can't decide if you know you can do your part in the car but then there are other other factors like you know the you know the obviously the the car which is very complex so there are really every little parameter in the software needs to be in a good in a good window then we had the qualifying format in the past which was let's say making it quite a big change up in in the order especially for the guys being in the front in the championship so this has changed now a little bit but still we kept this this spirit of of a huge competition so yeah i find it fantastic i think for the fans as well it's it's great to not always see the same guy winning winning races and yeah i think now with, with generation three it will probably probably continue pretty much like this i guess do you have a highlight from last season? I wanted to ask as well. Obviously, we see you motorsport drivers traveling the world, but do you actually get to see much of the city while you're there? And have you got a favorite place, whether it be from it was an incredible race or, you know, actually you went to the city and you were like, yeah, I really love coming here. I mean, yeah, this is something I, I like so much about Formula E as well, that we, we travel to all these amazing places. You know, it's me racing the city center, like really in the heart of the city. And yeah, difficult actually to to pick one place yeah. because every location is special in its, uh, like in, in the own way. I think for me, okay, there is one race, obviously, obviously, which is like a classic one and that you that everybody wants to win it's it's the one in monaco because of all the yeah. all the history so for sure i enjoy this weekend a lot even more now that i can sleep in my own apartment and uh, just walk to the track so that's 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 one but yeah let's say from the from the bigger travels for sure new york is a, is a really cool one I, I enjoy a lot the city the atmosphere in general america i find a great country and but yeah really every track and every location has got something unique and already you know for next year we've got places like cape town like so we're going to india you know like so many exciting places and yeah it's it's a great journey nice i mean new york that that does feel very unique to formula e and hopefully our listeners will have joined down monaco new york as as the recommendations there now we spoke about a little bit the the beginning but I want to get into the excitement even more for joining Maserati, the 2022-23 season. You know, 
what do you think we can expect from this new manufacturer? They, you know, they've been out of the racing for so long and now they're coming back in and they've decided to form their E. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm I'm very proud to be to be part of the team, to be representing yes, congratulations. I sorry, I should have said. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very special to to represent the colors of, of Maserati. You mentioned it, a brand with so much history, especially in motorsport as well, if you look back. And yeah, to have the Trident. Actually, I'm, I'm wearing it today. Uh, <laughs> Casual. The, the, the jumper on from Maserati. So um, yeah, it's it really means a lot to me. And I think we've got a very strong, a very strong package. You know, we've got very good people on board. We, um, I think we've got a good powertrain. Development is going pretty well. And yeah, you know, the team has got great experience in, in Formula E. They achieved already great things in the past. And yeah, now to... To combine this with, you know, the um, the tradition and the the strength of of Maserati, I think it's it's brilliant. Uh, Maserati is as well pushing a lot into electrification with all their models. I think we will see in the next few years exciting things. And yeah, to to be part of this is is amazing. And yeah, really, if I could if I could change the time to to middle of January right now, I, I would love to do it because I really can't wait to to start the season in Mexico. You know, it's just so perfect, especially like you say, living in Monaco, round the corner to work now. Do you feel like, and I'm sure you've got all the insider knowledge here, Maserati are really, they're looking at this long term. They've got a plan and they really want to find success in Formula E. 100%. And I think we, we share the same values because it's it's my goal as well. You know, I I, I will go now into my yeah fifth season in, in Formula E. So I've got some experience, uh, even though I'm still still one of the younger guys in the, on the grid. And yeah, I I feel like, you know, I, you know, I've been winning races, I've had podiums, but yeah, obviously want to go for the next step. And I think, yeah, together with this team, we really have got all the ingredients to achieve something, something strong and something special together. For sure, we will need to work hard and especially in a new generation of, of, of Formula E, you never know what's, what's going to happen, especially at the beginning. It depends on so many factors, but yeah, like really in the mid-term to long-term, I'm sure we will have a great time together and I'm I'm very, very motivated. Like you said then, you've been in Formula E for five seasons now, but you've still got your whole career really because you're so young. When you look to the future, what are some of the ambitions there? Do you think, you know, Formula E for a, a lot longer? Or is there anything you want to tick off the bucket list? Yeah, I mean, in general, you know, it's like my philosophy is really to to have this focus on myself like what what motivates me the most is to push myself always to the highest level and to as i said become the best possible version of myself extracting everything i can from each weekend every possibility you get and you know you realize in racing that and this is what i've seen as well in the past few years that yeah there are some things that you can influence and some things that you can't and this is as well the beauty of our sports that yeah, it's it's not predictable, and it really all needs to fit together to be to be successful. And yeah, I think it's important to be with both feet on the ground and to focus on your basics, on your own things. And this is what I'm doing again next year. I want to be a better driver than I've been in the previous seasons. And yeah, if you ask me about ticking boxes, then for sure there is one that I've always said, which is which is the main one, is to become a world champion in Formula E in the future. So for sure, this is my ambition as well i know it's ambition of us as a team of maserati because they, they belong to the very top in in our sport so yeah no pressure <laughs> i want to say for everyone listening when you talk about maserati your face just lights up i can see the excitement 
And I think, you know, as a viewer, as well as Formula E, this new manufacturer coming in, like you said, with so much history, it's so exciting. And almost these big brands are recognizing, they're recognizing the future. And I think I, I wanted to touch on as well, how important do you think Formula E almost is in, in shaping that future of electric cars and, and bringing that into the mainstream? I think motorsport in general has always had this yeah this role to develop technologies that mm. we then can use on the normal roads and i think i think we've seen this for for many years in championships like formula one for instance as well 24 hours of le mans but yeah i think now since a few years formula e has got this very strong leadership role to yeah to to show the people how you know how fantastic electric cars are we i mean we do it on the racetrack but you know all these technologies they go straight into the into the normal broadcast uh, really the, the transition here is is actually very impressive of how how close it is and how much we develop for for the road as well and yeah i think that's this is one side and then there is the other side which is a lot about you know sustainability which is about yeah doing something good for our planet i think it's it's our responsibility as well even if it's just a small part but we, we want to play this this role as well to yeah empower the people to to go this direction and yeah certainly as i said i'm, I'm a big fan of this of this championship yeah it's it's impressive how far it's come probably just while you've been in the championship as well seeing that progression over those five years right absolutely i think yeah the the championship is yeah just it just keeps rising and it is a very modern philosophy and mindset and how the whole structure of the championship is you know like we we started with something like fan boost now for many years to really make the the fans interact with us and have like even a small impact on the on the performance on track we've got things like attack mode which is strategically very exciting and yeah i think if you watch formula e from or if like if i rewatch the races on, on tv I think it's pretty pretty cool because until the very end, often you don't know who's gonna win, and uh, not many racing series have got this, this uh, yeah have got this yeah su such a let's say unpredictable outcome. So, I think it's I think it's great. I think yeah the championship is really going in a good direction. I think the chain free car now is another great opportunity to show the people what cars are capable of, how much quicker we are on a straight compared to to a few few months ago. So yeah, it's it's going well. I hope we've been a good advert to our listeners for Formula E today. If we've got any like proper hard F1 types that, you know, they're opening up because it, it is very exciting. Now I have one more question for you. I'm hoping you're a bit of a football fan. Germany, World Cup, what are we thinking? They're getting out of the group? <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, of course I'm watching. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, sports fan in general and football as well, obviously. So trying to watch as much as possible and we'll i think switch on my tv later on as well for for some more matches so yeah i've got my fingers crossed for germany i think it was not a ideal start for sure to the to the world cup but yeah really the game against spain was a good step so yeah now all down to the last last game but yeah i've got my fingers crossed for the team yeah i mean you've, you've done quite well in the world cup in the past so but it makes it very exciting down to the last game I had to ask so i Thank you very much for your time today, Max. I wish you so much luck for your season with Maserati. And I'm sure everyone here at Everything F1 will be following you very closely. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed my time with you. And yeah, to all of you, uh, enjoy the start of our Formula E season. I think we've got many 
cool things to to show to you. Thank you, Max. And please remember to hit that subscribe button, guys, if you want to hear more of our insightful conversations. And it's at join EF1. Thank you. Okay, that was that. We hope you enjoyed our 100th show. We will speak to you next week where we've got a very special guest. We've got Mario Andretti. Now, me and Coops are really excited for that one for (laughs) obvious reasons. Not that we weren't excited for this one. We were excited for every single one of them. We're just massive keynotes, really. But yeah, Mario Andretti is going to be a really interesting conversation to have. So we've got uh, 45 minutes to an hour, hopefully, with him. And we hope you will tune in to that one. You can follow us on our socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. You've got our website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, we'd love it if you hit that subscribe button on the podcast streaming service. So you do get that next episode in your earlobes as soon as it drops diana have you got anything you would like to promote while you're here (laughs) (laughs) do you have socials that that, that, that our fans could maybe follow you on i'm on on twitter i'm in binksy binksy db and instagram excellent everyone go and follow diana right away well thank you very much once more to diana for coming to chat to us today thank you very much we've been the everything everyone podcast we'll see you next week (laughs) bye-bye